Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. I want to preach to you and, and, and share a word with you on the, the most famous psalm in the Bible. You know what the most famous psalm is? How many know? Psalm what? 23. Psalm 23. All right. We got some Bible literate people. In, did you know Rhode Island's the least biblically literate state in the country? Come on, we're going to change that, amen? We're going to change that. As a church and as a people, we're going to love the Word of God. So listen, if you have your Bible, I want you to take it out to Psalm 23. And while you're turning to Psalm 23, I want you to tell you, you know, I could easily turn today into a deep study. I had 11 pages of notes. It was getting crazy. I had to stop. I said, I, I just had to put my Bible aside and say, all right, I, I'm now just going to start putting some thoughts together, put it into a sermon that's actually, you know, can fit into a Sunday morning. Um, but when you look at Psalm 23, this is not, this is not just a, you know, a, a, a set of verses that you memorize as children, though you should memorize it. I know that we've even sung songs about Psalm 23, but I, I want you to think of this Psalm today as a confession of faith in Jesus Christ. As we're reading this psalm, I want you to think of it as your declaration of dependence on Jesus Christ. Amen? We can celebrate our independence as a country. Thank God we're not paying taxes to the British anymore. But we do declare we are totally and wholly and fully dependent on Jesus Christ. Amen? I'm not ashamed to say that. I'm not afraid to say, I can't live my life by myself. I'm not afraid to say, I've messed it up on my own. I can proudly say, I need, and I needed Jesus Christ. How many of you can say, I need Jesus in my life? Awesome. As we're reading this today, and we're, we're looking at the Good Shepherd, I want you to think of who the Good Shepherd is. His name is Jesus Christ. And when you think of Jesus, I want you to think of my three points today. Jesus is the good shepherd who secures you, who sustains you, and who supplies all of your needs. I believe he's the good shepherd who will never, ever leave you. No matter what you go through, no matter where you go, and no matter who comes against you, Jesus Christ is there right by your side. Do you believe that today? Awesome. If you have your Bible, Psalm 23, I gave you plenty of time to find it. I know some of you, this is your first time opening your Bible, but you, you, got, you got some time. Psalm 23, verse 1, I want to read this with you. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can be in your house today. We thank you, Lord, for the time that we can gather together around your word and around this psalm. And Father, just as this psalm has been used to comfort and encourage and help people for thousands of years, 
I pray, God, today it's a help to your people. We pray, God, today we find security in this psalm. We find help in it. And I pray today, God, for those that don't know you and don't know you as the good shepherd, we pray we receive a revelation of who Jesus truly is. We love you, God. Bless this time in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Amen. I was uh, talking to my boys this week about the psalm, and I asked them to read it and kind of share their thoughts with me about Psalm 23. And I asked them, you know, uh, can you think of anything? Does it remind you of anything? What observations can you make about this psalm? It's something I would encourage all the parents to do. You know, start at a young age. Open the Bible with your kids and get them familiar with the Bible. But as I was talking to our youngest son, he's 10 years old now, but he, he said, I remember years ago, 10 years old, sounds like he's talking about 30 years ago, right? Years ago, when I was much smaller, he said, I was in the store with, uh, with mommy and Vava, and um, he got separated from them. That ever happened to you as a kid? You get separated in the store, separated from mom? Of course, it was, it was scary for him and terrifying. And he said, in that moment, I started to pray because I couldn't see mom, and I got very scared, very nervous. He just started to pray, God, help me, Jesus, help me, help me to find my mother. And then after he prayed, thank God, there was a woman that came by from the store and led him and guided him back to his mom and his, and his grandmother. And I, I shared that just to say how awesome it is that at a young age, this little 10-year-old, even younger than that, knew who to cry out to in his time of trouble. And what he learned at seven or eight years old, I pray you and I would learn today. That no matter what you face, no matter what hardships come against you, you know where your help is. And it's always found in Jesus. Amen? Amen. So today, as we walk through this psalm, I want to look at the first point. The first point is that Jesus secures us. Jesus secures us. The, 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 the shepherd secures us. When we look at the very first verse in Psalm 23, verse 1, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. My, say my. my. It's interesting to me that Jesus or, or David, David's the writer of Psalm 23, David doesn't talk about the shepherd and say the Lord is the shepherd. He doesn't even say he's a shepherd, but he says he's my shepherd. Do you see the distinction there? It's subtle, but it's meaningful. David knows his shepherd personally. He's not just one of many shepherds that he's following. But no, he's committed his life to following one shepherd, and he's my shepherd. I can remember when I first got married, I couldn't wait to start looking for my wife. I would go to her work, and I'd go to the office, and I would never use her name. I would just say, have you seen my wife? And they all knew who, who, uh, <laughs> who I was. But I, I love talking about my wife because I, I took pride in knowing her, in being connected to her. In all honesty, at 17, 18 years old, I wasn't sure if I was going to have a wife. I wasn't sure. I was the guy who wasn't well-dressed. You know, if I'm dressed well today, it's because my wife had to stay in my outfit. <laughs> I was the guy wearing sandals with white socks under the sandals. That was me. A couple days ago, I got dressed. I put a denim shirt on and denim pants. And I was like, you can't wear jeans on jeans. She didn't have a say in that outfit, but now she does. Now she does. So she's my wife. I take ownership in that. I possess that. I love the fact that I can identify with her. 
that she belongs to me and I belong to her. And that's what David is saying. The shepherd is mine. He's not talking about a stranger. And I want to encourage you today. Do you know the shepherd? Do you know him? Do you know his name? Do you know what he's like? Do you talk to him? David would spend so many hours talking to the Lord, knowing his shepherd. It's a beautiful thing. When you know the Lord and you know the shepherd, you know Jesus, you become familiar with him. And he's all you want to talk about. Yesterday, my my family was celebrating my grandmother's birthday. She's 92 years old, July 1st. 92 years old. Amazing. She's not here, but I'm sure she appreciates... I'm sure she appreciates the, the hand clap. 92 years old. Um, if you were to spend any time with my grandmother, you would know this is a woman of faith. This is a woman who knows God because she's been through some things. When she talks about Jesus, she will also tell you about all the things Jesus saved her from. I can remember even as a boy, eight years old, seven years old, sitting in the backseat of her car and just hearing her constantly talk about Jesus. And when I say constantly, meaning she would never take a break. It was just a constant stream of consciousness and verses and experiences and testimonies. And sometimes I would complain. I'd, you know, she'd be stuck in traffic. I'd be like, oh, my goodness, Nana, when are we going to get out of this traffic? And can we just, like, can we stop by McDonald's or something? And she would, she would stop us and gently correct us and say, don't you know that God's in control? And don't you know that maybe this traffic is God's way of protecting us? You don't know what's down the street. You don't know what's around the corner or what's ahead of the traffic. Sometimes traffic is traffic, but my grandmother had this mindset and this understanding, God is always watching us. God is always protecting us because he's a good shepherd, because he's a God who secures us and keeps us close. I hope that you would know the shepherd like that. But he doesn't just protect you physically. The Bible also says he protects your soul. It says in Psalm 23, Verse 3, I'll read it to you. It says, he restores my soul. The shepherd restores my soul. So even when the enemy, even when we, we feel like we're not good enough or we feel there's guilt or shame or we're reminded of our past, how many know the devil is relentless? He will come after you and he'll constantly re- remind you of your failures. He'll always remind you of your sin and your past. But I thank God that Jesus is also there to remind you of your future and to remind you of his past and what he did for you. There's security in that. And he restores your soul. He he sets you apart. He sets you free from that. Amen? It's a beautiful thing. So number one, Jesus secures us. But number two, Jesus also sustains us. He sustains us. In Psalm 23, it says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. I love the green pastures there. It reminds us that God does, Jesus does, sustain us. He provides for our needs. When I used to read Psalm 23, I would think about green pastures, and I would think, like many of you, green fields, lush grass, tall grass, and the, and the sheep just enjoying and frolicking and eating as much grass as they want. But then I went to Israel, and I actually saw it was a little different there. Yes, there are some green pastures and there are wide open fields, but a lot of the places that the shepherds spend time are in the desert and in the wilderness, where it's not giant fields of green pastures, but small patches of grass. 
And you don't, as a sheep, you don't know how to get from patch to patch. You need the help of a shepherd. It's an interesting idea, right? It's an interesting understanding. The shepherd is leading his sheep, not to just one giant pasture where they can eat and just be happy and die there. But if they do that, what's the point of the shepherd? They don't need the shepherd at that point. They found the pasture, they eat all they want. But instead, the shepherd leads them from pasture to pasture, from pluck of grass to grass to grass, to show they need to rely on the shepherd. You see, the pasture is not your source. The shepherd is your source. Your job is not your source. Jesus is your source. Amen? It's a beautiful revelation. When you realize that Jesus is your source, you realize, I don't need anything else. I have everything I need. The first verse of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's saying, I don't need anything else. If I have Jesus, I have everything else. Martin Luther, the great reformer, he said this, if you take everything from me but my God, I still die as the wealthiest man on earth. That's a powerful statement. You take everything from me, and I'm still the wealthiest, happiest man on earth because I have Jesus. What a statement. He's saying, and what the psalmist is saying, is that we need to find our contentment in Jesus. There are many things that are going to pull at our attention, many things that we're going to want, many things that we're, we're going to strive for, but ultimately God is saying, these things can be taken from you. These things can be fleeting. Instead, grab hold of the thing that will never leave you. The thing that even when you die, it's still with you. Grab on to Jesus Christ. Job learned this. You read in the Old Testament. Job was a righteous man, amazing man. He would pray for his kids, just an incredible man. But then the Bible says that he lost his wife. He lost his children. He lost his health. He lost his stature. He lost his, 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 all of his possessions. He lost everything. And Job's response to losing everything is, naked I came into the world, and naked I'll leave. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's what it means to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I don't need anything else in this earth as long as you give me Jesus Christ. What an amazing statement of contentment. And I know many of us are not there yet. But I, my prayer is, our prayer is, Lord, take me there. Shepherd, guide me to that place where I rely wholly and fully on you. Amen? But then it doesn't stop there. He says, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. In Psalm 23, you anoint my head with oil. Just as God provides for our needs, and just as God fulfills our basic needs of contentment and, and, and security, he's also... He's also telling us that God also has more for you, that he doesn't want you in a state of perpetual poverty, but he wants you to rise out of that. He says, my cup overflows. There's an overflow to God. Again, Israel was such an amazing experience, and one of my favorite things there was when we were having a Shabbat dinner, and the woman leading us through the Shabbat dinner was pouring out some juice into a cup. And I was sitting at the table as she was doing this, and I could see that the cup was filling up with the juice. But then she kept pouring, and she actually overflowed, and, and I immediately was ready to like, jump out and grab a napkin and like, oh my gosh, don't worry, we'll clean it up. But she intentionally poured out the water over the cup as a symbol 
of God's overflow in our lives. That God isn't interested in you just staying in a perpetual state of poverty or just barely surviving. But God's desire for you is for you to rise up, to overflow with his goodness, to receive his anointing and his presence and his power. The anointing of God, the Holy Spirit is for all of us. It's for all of us when we, when we turn to him. When you look at the anointing that came on David, and David wrote Psalm 23, and he can write and talk about what God did in his life. I believe that he wrote this later in his life, not early, later in his life, because it's later in your life you get some perspective. But I think that when he looked at his life, he, he, he remembered the kind of man he used to be. He used to be a boy, but the anointing came on him, and he became a king. He used to be a shepherd, the, the anointing came on him. He became a mighty warrior. He used to be a sinful man, but God forgave him and restored him. It's a beautiful thing when you experience the overflow and the anointing of God. And that's what I mean when I say that Jesus sustains us. He gives us his Holy Spirit. Amen? And I would encourage you, just say this with me. I receive your spirit. Holy Spirit, come. It's a free gift that God gives. He gives you Jesus, but he also gives you the Holy Spirit. Here's the third point that I want to highlight with you as we look at Psalm 23. It's that Jesus supports us. It's that Jesus supports us. The picture we get of the shepherd is that he has two tools in his hands. He has the staff in one hand, and the staff is meant to guide the sheep, to pull them out when they get into danger or get off the path. The staff is there for the sheep, but then he also has a rod, and the rod is there as a weapon because the shepherd also has to protect the sheep. How many of you know a sheep is no match for a lion? In the New Testament, it says that our adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion seeking whom he can kill and destroy and devour. This is the picture we get of who our enemy is. But between the lion and the sheep is the shepherd. And he stands there ready to defend us and protect us. He supplies everything we need. In verse 2 and 3 of Psalm 23, it says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. I love this, this thought of how the shepherd leads us and guides us. This is part of his supply to us, taking us to where we need to be, places of growth and places of maturity. It's not always going to be fun. It's not always going to be the green pastures. Sometimes there are times where he has to teach us and correct us. These are the paths of righteousness. These paths of righteousness, or these paths, they're, they're ancient, they're, they're old, they're, they're not new, they're not exotic. To become righteous means that you're being led by Jesus. And I think there are many paths. One path that obviously leads us to God, and that's Jesus Christ, but he's talking about paths of righteousness. I think these are the timeless spiritual disciplines, the path of persistent prayer brings righteousness. The path of faithful Bible reading, studying and meditating on the Word of God 
leads to maturity in the life of the believer. The path of fasting and prayer that leads to freedom and breaks strongholds. The path of community that brings you into the, the, the church and what God is doing. The path of serving where now you're able to make a difference on a Sunday morning. You're not just attending, but you're able to say, I'm a part of what God is doing. These are the paths of righteousness that God puts us on. And all of these build us and mature us and make us stronger and mightier. 1 Timothy 6.11 says, But as for you, O man of God, flee from these things. He talks about sinful and wicked behavior. He talks about the wrong people. He says, flee from those things. But now as you're on the paths of righteousness, he says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Jesus is our good and perfect shepherd leading us to these places. Amen? I was talking to a a man in our church, he's just started coming about two months ago. And uh, I was asking, you know, what's God doing in your, in your life now that you're in the church? After two months, he's been here, he's in movement course, his wife is interested in baptism, and I noticed he had a, a Bible. And I said, where'd you get the Bible? He said, well, pastor was preaching and talking about how every one of us should get a study Bible, and we should read it. So he said, that Sunday, I left the sanctuary, went right to the resource center, and picked up a Bible. And this thing is a serious Bible. It's an ESV study Bible. If you know what I'm talking about, it's a brick. <laughs> but he's been texting me, and I've been texting him, and he's reading through the Bible. He picked up the Gospel of John, and he's reading the Gospel of John. It's awesome. And he's in movement course, and his wife is getting baptized, and he's growing in the Word of God. Where is this man? He's on the paths of righteousness. He's growing in the community of the church. Amen? And this is where all of us are being invited into. In verse 4, it says this, even though, notice the shift here now, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. See, the paths of righteousness prepare us for the dark moments in our life. When I was a, a young man first accepting Christ and, and really, you know, making this my faith, it wasn't my mom's faith anymore, my grandmother's faith, it was my faith, I started praying and I felt like every prayer I prayed, I would get an answer to that prayer. I'd pray, Lord, I'm hungry today. Man, I wish I, I didn't bring any lunch money. I pray, Lord, help me to get it. I kid you not, somebody would stop by and buy me lunch. My wife can testify to this. I remember one time I was praying, oh, my sneakers are all messed up. I was a college student, and I didn't have any money. I was praying, Lord, help me get some sneakers. Somebody literally put a brand new pair of sneakers on my door. We got married. We got married, and we were like, oh, we, we're going to you know, move into this apartment, but we need a refrigerator. And my wife was looking at a really nice one, the double doors open, the ice maker, all that. I was looking at an apartment-sized refrigerator. <laughs> But we started praying, and somebody bought us a brand new refrigerator, and it was the one my wife picked out, the exact same one. What is that? There's something about new believers. I'm telling you now, if you're a new Christian, you got to pray, and you're going to see, you're going to see all kinds of answered prayers. The weirdest prayers will start getting answered. Somebody dropped off. I, I could go on and on and on. That first year that I was saved, it was like every prayer just got answered immediately. But then, th then you mature, <laughs> right? 
Then you mature and you pray and you don't get an answer. You're like, wait, is this, is this still working? You know, I thought, like, do I, is it this way, this way? Like, what do I have to do, God? I'll get on my knees, I'll fast, whatever you want. That's where God starts to mature you. That's where it's not going to always come easy. That's where now you've got to press in. You've got to push through. It's not always going to be up high in the mountains. Sometimes you have to go down into the valley, even the valley of the shadow of death. But how many know it's in the valley that the soil is the fertilest? It's in the valley that is most fertile. And that's where you grow. That's where maturity happens. That's where you start to realize it's scary down here. Evil is scary. Death is scary. But it's only a shadow. It's only a shadow. It's powerless. Some of you might still be afraid of your own shadow. But a shadow can't harm you. You can take a sword out and you've got a, sh a shadow for that sword. The shadow is harmless. It may follow you. It may intimidate you. It's in the dark places too. But it's toothless. It's powerless. And that's who our enemy is when you have God. When you have the good shepherd who's holding the rod, who's there to protect you. It's a powerful revelation. It's powerful when we, when we start to see just how faithful God is and how present he is in our lives. But again, the other thing that I notice about this, as I'm reading Psalm 23, early on he's talking about the Lord, right? The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me. He guides me. But now as he talks about the valley says, even in the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. He's not talking about God. Now he's talking to his Lord. He's talking to his shepherd. You are with me. It's in the valley that you get the deepest revelation of who God is. It's in the valley that you appreciate and you have the, the strongest connection to who God is. I wasn't planning on sharing this, but I can remember when, when my father passed away. And we were in the car, in the, you know, working our way to the hospital. I remember sitting in the backseat of my car and opening to the Psalms and finding comfort in the Psalms. I don't even remember what I read, if it was Psalm 23 or something else, but I just knew this is where I have to go for my help. It's in those moments that you know Jesus. You don't know him just as a doctrinal thing or a Bible character. You know Jesus as your Lord. He's my shepherd. You know him personally and intimately. And I think this is what David was declaring, that he knows Jesus, that he knows the Lord, he knows God up close and personal. In verse five, he goes on and he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Once again, he's talking about the Lord. He's talking about the Lord in the first person, and he talks to him directly. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This one I wrestled with. I was wondering, what does this mean? What does this look like? And I've been studying it and talking to different people about it. What does it mean when the Lord prepares a table in the presence of your enemies? First of all, who wants to sit with their enemies? <laughs> I don't want to sit with them. This is what was so perplexing. I want to be as far away from them as possible. I think one thing David is acknowledging, you will have enemies. There will be people that come against you, who malign you, resent you, hate you, are against you. 
You also have an enemy of your soul. We've talked about the enemy, that adversary, Satan, the devil. He's very real and he's, he hates you and he's coming after you. But then the psalmist says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This is where you have to do a little bit of research. That word table talks about a king's table. The king is preparing his table, that special table for VIPs, that special table for people that have been invited into his presence. He invites you and I to sit at that table. And even though our enemies are close, and even though this may even be on a battlefield while we're still in the valley of the shadow of death and fighting for our lives, even in those moments, God is saying, I am with you. And I'm going to invite you into my banquet. You're going to be my guest of honor. Breaking bread with someone in the ancient world was not just a meal. It wasn't like going to Burger King and grabbing a bite to eat with somebody. Back then, if you broke bread with someone, you were saying, this person, I'm with this person. They belong to me. It was more than hospitality. It was like a sign and symbol and a moment when you were saying that we are now in friendship together, that I am loyal to them and they are loyal to me. Even when our enemies encircle us, even when they harass us and come against us, even in the middle of the battle, God is saying, I'm there. And it's on my turf. You're not in their turf. I'm the one preparing the table. I'm the one orchestrating this event. I am still in charge. That's what the shepherd is saying. In verse 6, the final verse of Psalm 23, it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Goodness and mercy will follow you. Jesus secures you. He sustains you. And he supplies you with goodness and mercy. David understood goodness and mercy. He was a man who sinned grievously, did horrendous sin. But God restored him, forgave him. Why? Because David had mercy and goodness following after him. You see, when we follow our shepherd and we walk with Jesus, behind us follows goodness and mercy. You have Jesus you have the Father, you have the Holy Spirit, but you also have the goodness and the mercy of God. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.